So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Good morning, Covenant. You know, several years ago now, it's probably been, goodness, maybe 15, 16 years ago, Catherine and I were reading a book together um, called The Connected Church by a pastor in Texas at the time, uh, Randy Frazee. And we were reading it because uh, we um, had come through a season of life where uh, maybe for the first time ever, uh, we... Uh, had experienced biblical community. Uh, we had been raised in church. I mean, Catherine's the, the daughter of a pastor, and, and I was, you know, a deacon's kid, which meant I, I caused all kinds of problems in my church. And uh, uh, we, we just had always been in church. I had pastored numerous churches and or been on staff in churches. But the truth of the matter is, there was, we always felt like there was something lacking. Um, and, and we ran across a, a quote in that book, and, and this is what Randy Frazee uh, said. He said, the, the hard-to-swallow premise is that today's church is not a community, but rather a collection of individuals. Individualism causes us to gather as a group of individuals who are concerned about our individual wants and needs, not as a community united around some common characteristics. And, and because, at least in our situation, we were in settings where we had no family, much like what we have here, where so many people are in our church and there is no real family in the area. All of your extended family tends to be elsewhere. How important is it to have a, your church truly be the family of God, that expression, the family of God, be reality, and not just a collection of individuals who come together to sing and to do, you know, things that are spiritual or religious, but it, it actually is bringing life into your life throughout the week, not just on the weekend. And so this became uh, just something that was precious to me, and that's why I've become such a passionate believer in the importance of what is known as authentic biblical community, a term that you've heard me use quite a bit here over the years. I mean, I think I have, I have given you somewhere between 40 and 50 messages <laughs> over the last 10 years uh, in some way or another touching on this idea of biblical community. In fact, 10 years ago, uh, I preached a series of messages, 10 messages, to really kind of start my ministry here at Covenant, and it was surrounded around this idea of biblical community, and I used this text for about five or six of those messages 10 years ago. So it's, it's good for us to revisit some themes so that we don't lose sight of what's important to us as a church 
Because 10 years ago, I cast vision for what we wanted in our discipleship groups, in our small group ministry, and and its biblical community. And this has come to define us in many ways as a church. This gets to who we are. This speaks to our core values, what we find to be most important, or one of those things that we find to be most important here at Covenant Church is authentic biblical community. So what is it? Well, rather than give you you know, a, a, a definition from this author or that author, author, I appeal to somebody much less uh, august, me. And I wrote you a definition, okay? Uh, I put a bunch of different, here's what I see a, a biblical community being. Authentic biblical community is us being Jesus in word and deed to one another and to the wor- world around us. It's us, I mentioned it a couple of weeks ago, it's us being the hands and feet of Jesus to one another, exactly. It's us being Jesus in in both our word and proclaiming the gospel and in bringing the truth of the gospel to one another's lives and to the broken world around us. But it's not just speaking the gospel, it's also living it out through love and through service and meeting the practical needs of one another in our church and those who are outside of the church. This is what biblical community is. And this passage, man, what a great passage. It's, this passage gives us a clear picture of authentic biblical community. And really what it does, I would suggest, is it presents a threefold focus of biblical community. And I want us to go there this morning. First of all, biblical community has an upward focus It has an upward focus that deepens our devotion to Jesus. Verse 41 says, so those who received his word were baptized. Now the context here is the apostle Peter's message. The day of Pentecost has occurred. The Holy Spirit has descended and the, uh, the followers of Jesus, approximately 120 of them, have gone out into the city of Jerusalem. Peter preaches this first sermon. And as a result of this first sermon, 3,000 people and are come to Christ. And depending upon how you look at the Greek language, it's 3,000 men, and then there's women and children. But at least 3,000 people come to Christ. And verse 42 says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. That word devoted is extremely important. It's the Greek word proskoterero. The word means to consistently and to continually hold fast to something, to persevere with something, to commit yourself and to cling tenaciously to it. So in other words, literally this passage is saying that they, um, they consistently and continually held fast to the apostles' teachings. They persevered with the fellowship. They committed themselves and they clung to the breaking of bread and to the prayers. There's a message here, right? Authentic biblical community, it doesn't happen by chance. It is something that you have to actively pursue. It is a consistent commitment of our lives to some some specific things. And they're listed in this passage of Scripture. Biblical community doesn't happen by chance. It's by us as followers of Jesus Christ, holding fast, tenaciously, committing ourselves to pursuing specific items. And they're enumerated here. What were they devoted to? They were devoted to the apostles' teachings. 
You know, the scriptures tell us that when Jesus was resurrected from the dead, he, he met with the apostles and he ministered to them for 40 days and 40 nights. And then after that, he ascended. Right before ascending, he gave them what we call the Great Commission. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. This is what the apostles were doing. They were proclaiming, first of all, Jesus crucified, buried, rose again. Peter did it in his message telling those, those audiences, that audience of Jews in the city of Jerusalem, what they had done, who Jesus was, the importance of committing their life to him. You see, folks, you can never experience authentic biblical community until you first recognize yourself as a sinner in need of God's grace and receive Jesus Christ alone as Lord and Savior. Biblical community starts there. It starts with recognizing who you are and who Jesus is. And so no doubt, they're proclaiming the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I have no doubt that what these apostles did was exactly what Jesus did with them. You know, you find after the resurrection that Jesus met with the apostles. And one of the things that he did was he starting with the law and working through the, the histories and the prophets and the poetical books, uh, he, he connected the dots for them and showed them how all of the Old Testament in one way or another pointed to him, where they could see him. I, I bet this, this early audience of, of Israelites, as these apostles are preaching to them in these first weeks, and they're opening, I mean, their Bible at that point in time is the Old Testament scriptures. And they're opening up the book of Isaiah, and now they're proclaiming and they're preaching from the book of Isaiah, or they're preaching Psalm 23, and then they're giving them the words of Jesus right behind it where he says, I'm the good shepherd. How the eyes of these Israelites, these Jews are now open, and then and, and use our language, their minds are blown, right? They're just like, Poof! because here they've been raised in all of these scriptures, and now the apostles are helping them connect the dots to these scriptures that they've been raised in that actually this is Jesus Christ, the Messiah. And so the apostles are teaching them the scriptures and they're applying them to them. And the, these individuals are devoted to the teaching of the apostles. They're devoted to the fellowship. The, these believers were coming together on a daily basis, it seems, in the temple and other locations, fellowshipping with one another, hearing the word of God. The fellowship here, that definite article is important. This wasn't fellowship like we like to fellowship, you know, around coffee and donuts and, and whatnot, like they were fellowshipping. No, this is the fellowship. This is the church, what we would call the church. They were coming together in the temple and they were sitting at the feet of the apostles and they're hearing the teachings. They're devoted to the apostles' teaching. They were devoted to the fellowship. They were devoted to worship because it says it was not only the fellowship, but it was the breaking of bread and the prayers. Again, the definite article is important. This is referring, as I understand it, and I think the best understanding is these are this, the distinct breaking of the bread like we do here in our church. What's that referring to? The Lord's Supper, the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. The prayers, 
This is those elements of corporate worship, the communion and the prayers, like we did a few moments ago. And I so appreciate that Paxson brings this into our worship service where he brings the scriptures to us and he puts it in a way where we can pray it to back to God and into our souls, the truth of God's word. In this case, this morning, we prayed our sin and we recognized it and we confessed it corporately together, our struggles. And we gave that back to God and then we sang about the forgiveness that we already have in Jesus Christ because he's died for every one of those sins. Praise the Lord. This is what corporate worship is supposed to be. And this is what these early disciples were, were doing. It is interesting when you look at, at what they did, they didn't have a church building like we have. Instead, what they were doing, if you look at Acts chapter 5, they gathered in a portion of the temple complex. It was known as Solomon's portico or Solomon's porch. It was about 300 yards long and about 100 feet high, and several thousand people could gather there. Jesus did a lot of ministry there. And, and so what was happening on a daily basis, these early Christians were gathering in this location, and the apostles were essentially holding a church service. And they were preaching and there was singing and they were having communion and they were praying. And it's this early, and then what was happening was they were catching the attention of other Israelites who were coming. They were checking out what's going on. And then they began to bring their sick people to them and the apostles began to heal. And more and more people were being converted in these early days of the church as these individuals were devoted to this early church and this upward focus that deepened their devotion to Jesus Christ. Now, for some of you, you might be wondering, wait a second. I thought this was supposed to be a sermon about small groups. We have tables all around the room, and you're talking about the corporate worship service of the early church, and not small groups. Well, you see, folks, this is not a sermon about small groups. This is a sermon about authentic biblical community. There's a big difference. You see, small groups, discipleship groups, and we have different variations of discipleship groups in our church. We have covenant groups which are, tend to be co-ed groups, men and women together, but then we have sex-segregated groups, journey groups that go deeper, maybe over three years into a very, uh, you know, defined curriculum, and it's a more intensive uh, form of discipleship and boot camp, and there's a much higher call of commitment to them. And then we have triads of three people, men with men and women with women, numerous groups of triads that, that meet around the city, maybe over breakfast or lunch or different things. We have many different forms of discipleship groups in our church. Groups, small groups, are the strategy that we as a church employ to help you experience biblical community. You understand this? That's all small groups are. That is how our church has decided that the best strategy for our church is discipleship groups of various kinds to help you get into and live in authentic biblical community. Other churches in different settings have made different decisions. Other churches have done a phenomenal job of employing Sunday school classes 
And they use Sunday school to facilitate biblical community in their setting because it works for them. For us, we throw all of our energy into discipleship groups. The group and being in the group is not the end game. The end game is being in biblical community. But here's the thing. Biblical community starts right here, every weekend. This is where biblical community starts, with what we do as a corporate body in corporate worship. When we come in here together, the Holy Spirit gathers with us. Where two or three are gathered together in my name, the Lord Jesus says, there I am with them. And so the Holy Spirit is here with us. The Lord is here with us. And what we do here corporately, don't undervalue what this does in establishing this upward focus that is such a vital part of biblical community. When we come together as a group of people and we sing together, I mean, I mean, don't you feel it? Don't you feel a difference when you sing with 400 people versus when you're at the stoplight? I mean, come on, I do. I mean, something is different in my soul. And what is that difference? It, it, there's just something about singing with you folks and the Holy Spirit just lifts my heart as, as all of us are lifting our voices at the cross, at the cross where I first saw the light, like we sang this morning, that it, there's just something that is done in my heart and in my soul. This is the ministry of the Holy Spirit. He's uniting us together. This is biblical community. It starts right here. It starts right here when we pray out loud together. And I know for some of you, this is like a little weird. I mean, I was raised, I mean, guys, come on, I started independent Baptist, right? And so anything that even has a, a hint of like, you know, high church, Roman Catholicism is like, you know, this is Luciferian kind of like, you know? I mean, so praying out loud together, it took me a little bit to get used to that. I'm just going to be honest with you, okay? because it was just so against the way I was raised. We never, ever did that. Prayer was a very personal, private thing. But I got news for you. I have come to love us praying out loud together. There's just something that, you know, there's something that not only I think it does in my heart, but I think it's something that it does, it's good for people who are worshiping with us for the first time, maybe who don't know Christ. And they're coming in, and maybe you're here this morning, and you came into this church this morning, and, and you've got something going on in your life. You, you heard us pray this morning and confess to God that this week, we as the people of God, we turn to, to other things at different times to find comfort and satisfaction and meaning. You came into a church filled with people who do not have their act together. You came into a church this morning filled with people, pastored by a senior pastor who were broken. We have been broken by sin, but thank the Lord, we are not as broken as we once were. Because Jesus, when he moves into your life, he begins to work on all that brokenness. 
And he begins to fix things, and he begins to restore things, and he begins to put us back together the way God originally intended. And so when you, when you walked in our door this morning and you heard us praying about sin in church, when we pray like this, this allows us to be honest with ourselves and with each other and with people who walk into our doors and take away a mask for at least a portion of our service, and it binds us together and allows us to be honest with one another that we're sinners and needed the grace of God. We should pray this energetically and exuberantly. Paxson, thank you, brother, for being a worship pastor who gets this and brings this to us every week. Thank you. Amen. Amen. Because biblical community, it starts right here, okay? The upward focus of biblical community, it starts in our corporate gathering, and it's, but, it, but it's enriched in our smaller discipleship groups. Because what starts here, you get to go deeper in our smaller groups, right? Some of you take the sermon notes, and we provide you with study questions and scriptures, and you go deeper into the sermon. Others of you, I was talking to uh, one of our group ladies, a lady who's leading a, a small group lady, and she showed me the book they're going through. They're going through Martin Lloyd-Jones's uh, Let Not Your Heart Be Troubled. It's like 10 or 12 of his messages from John 14. Phenomenal book this year, and her small group was going through that book. He's one of the most, one of the most famous and best pastors from the 1900s. It's, it's incredible. It's deep, it's rich. And that's one of the great things about discipleship groups and that form of biblical community. What we're able to do here, I can only go so deep in 30 minutes, but in your discipleship groups, you could drill down and you can get into the nuggets of God's word. And most importantly, you get to do something there that you can't do here. You talk about it and you apply it and you grapple with it and you ask questions and you struggle and then you pray over it and your Holy Spirit ministers to you so what starts here at one level, it continues this upward focus in our discipleship groups. And what and the ultimate result is it deepens our devotion to the Lord Jesus Christ. And then our groups do something, a different focus that much better than what we can do here in our corporate service. The second focus you see in this passage, biblical community has an inward focus. It has an upward focus that deepens our relationship with Christ. That happens here and there, but something that happens uniquely in our discipleship group so much better than even in a corporate worship service. It, it happens here, but nowhere near at the level of what it happens in a discipleship group is this inward focus that builds relationships between followers of Jesus Christ. Verse 44 says, And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Wow. Now, that's not one of the requirements of being in one of our small groups, okay? Just rest and relax right there. You don't have to go sell everything and give it to the church so we can just do it. Not at all. But this just goes to show you the depth of unity and biblical community that they were experiencing. How does this happen? Well, well, it starts, it says, day by day, they were attending the temple together. They were there in Solomon's porch. They were seeing what was going on. And by the way, they saw their pastors, the apostles, arrested by the Jewish leaders. They saw the persecution. They experienced these things. They're knitted together, but don't miss the rest of verse 46. 
They, they attended the temple together, and they were breaking bread in their homes, receiving their food with glad and generous hearts. Do you catch that? You see, it didn't start here and end here. They were doing life together, meeting together in their homes, doing something that is absolutely a requirement. If you are at all going to be a good Christian, you must eat together. Just saying, okay? You gotta eat together, right? I mean, it's in the Bible. I'm just saying, it's in the Bible. You gotta eat, right? You gotta eat together. They, they were fellowshipping together. They were doing life together with one another in their homes. You know, and at the very least, when we do this, two important results occur. When we gather together in a smaller group with some individuals over the year, two years, three years, I mean, we have some people who've been meeting together for 20 and 30 years. Something happens, something beautiful happens when we do this and we fellowship and we grow deeper together as disciples of Christ. What happens is you become family friendships, deep loving friendships are established. And not only those deep loving friendships develop, you come to genuinely care for the other people in your group. You love them and you want to see their needs met. When they talk about what's going on in their life and they bring prayer requests of their spiritual struggles, their, their material struggles, they're going through a trial in life, whatever it may be, maybe it's economic, maybe it's physical, maybe it's emotional, maybe it's the marriage, maybe it's their, their, uh, their job, maybe it's a sickness, an illness, maybe they go through a tragedy of some kind because you're invested in each other's lives. You've been praying with each other. You've been walking through life with each other. You You've seen children born and, and raised up. You've seen grandchildren come together. You've walked through the pain of life together. When these things happen, it's unthinkable that you would turn your back on them at that point in need and not be there to help them get through whatever it may be. You can't do it, can you? Absolutely can't do it. Because this person is your family. You love them. This is what this inward focus, this is what biblical community is supposed to be. These two elements, by the way, of, of, of this loving relation, these friendships that develop and this deep, genuine care that happens, this is why you've heard me say through the years, maybe a kind of a shocking statement, that, that outside of maybe a targeted training class or a seminar, we do not do Bible studies at Covenant Church. We do not do Bible studies at Covenant Church. Now, we study the Bible at Covenant Church, but we study the Bible in the context of biblical community. Because of these elements of genuine care and developing deep friendships, these are indispensable to our study of the Bible and the enrichment of our prayer lives. They're indispensable. Because, folks, if you study the Bible, if you got a Bible study, right? 
There's a, there's a talking head. There's somebody who's maybe more of an expert, and they're teaching you the Bible, and you're sitting there, and you're taking notes, and you're taking it all in, and maybe you have a couple of discussion questions, and there can be a place for that at designated times of life, but when that's what your diet is, do you know what it leads to? It leads to what Paul talks about. What did Paul talk about in 1 Corinthians 13? Knowledge that is gained, separated from love. What happens? You become puffed up, arrogant. I'm a super Christian, proud. I have all the answers. You'll know your Bible inside and out, and you'll be absolutely worthless to the kingdom of God. Because knowledge without the love, without the connection to people where you're invested in their lives, it just becomes an esoteric head exercise. You'll have a lot of information you won't necessarily have life transformation. So absolutely, we will study the Bible. We will read phenomenal books like written by Martin Lloyd-Jones and other great theologians and scholars, but we will do it in the context of sitting with people who are going through life so that after we get done studying the Bible together, we're talking about it, and we're applying it right to the problems of what is going on right then in life, and we're praying for each other. How different it is to go to a, maybe a class or a Bible study, and you study the book of James, and a person maybe exegetes it and teaches it, and you have a couple of discussion questions. How different is that experience versus being in a group where Maybe you're studying the book of James, but one of your members is in the middle of going through cancer. And as you're talking about trials and tribulations, and you're breaking apart what James says about trials and tribulations, and then right on the heels of studying what James says, you're now going into a time of targeted, intense prayer for this brother and sister who's going through the pain of cancer and all that's involved with that trial and tribulation. Don't you think that changes your study of the book of James? Absolutely. It personalizes it. It puts meat on those bones. It makes it real. I saw such a beautiful example of this just last week. I saw a lady in our church walk in that door a few minutes late, and man, she brought a whole clan of people with her, her family from out of town. And this sister and brother, they've been going through it for a while. He's got cancer. And she had come in, and her family had come from out of town. And uh, they, they live many, several miles south. And she brought her family to church. Her husband can't come to church right now. The cancer's too progressed. And one of the things, one of the highlights of her week is being able to worship corporately with her church family. She needs that boost to her soul. She's going through the valley of the shadow of death with her husband. And her small group, who she has been with for several years, seeing this need, you know, men in her small group and others that they've enlisted, the reason why she was able to walk through the door was because there was a, a couple who drove the 20 miles or 25 miles down to her house, and they sit with her husband so she can come to church on Sunday morning. They come to the Saturday night service, and then go, that, folks, is biblical community. Amen? That is biblical community.
And there's a lot of things that we may not do right here at Covenant Church. And we want to fix those things. But if there's one thing that by God's grace we want to do well, is that right there. That when there's a part of the body that is hurting, we never shoot our wounded person, right? We never turn our back on somebody who's struggling with sin and they confess it and they say, help. And we never, ever are too busy to sacrifice our time and our energy and our resources to be there for somebody who's going through some of the deepest things that life throws at them. Never. Amen? Amen. Amen. That's the inward focus. And I have a big ask for you this morning. Um, actually, I have a couple of big asks for this year in our groups, but this is the first one. For us to see this inward focus just become even more than what it is. I'm going to ask this year in our groups that at, at least half of the time, when you go into that period of prayer, where you're praying together as a group, I'm going to ask that at least half the time, if you're in a co-ed group, that you break apart by sex. Men with men, women with women. If you're in a large group, try to keep those prayer groups down to four to five people. So there's plenty of time. So you, if you're in a large group, you know, maybe 16, 17 people, you might have two groups of men, four to five each, and two groups of women, four to five each. And when we do this, church, this is the real big ask. This year, let's make this a year where the prayer life of our groups is deep and personal and authentic. Let, let, let not our group prayer time be organ recitals. You know, Aunt Kathy's spleen and Uncle Tom's colon and, you know, yada, yada, yada. No organ recitals this year, okay? Unless it's your organs, no organ recitals. I mean, within reason. Obviously, if it's someone you care deeply about, that's one thing. But so oftentimes, that can be a mask for actually not bringing up what the real needs are in our lives. And so by breaking apart into smaller groups of prayer by sex, the point is we need an environment in our groups where a man feels comfortable to look at a couple of other men and say, here's where I'm hurting, here's where I'm struggling, where women can say, this is where I'm at. And we feel safe enough to actually talk about what's going on in our lives and pray for one another. Can we do that, church? This is huge. Verse 47 says, Praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Authentic biblical community looks upward and it deepens our devotion to Jesus. It looks inward so that we can build relationships with fellow believers. But biblical community does not mean that we withdraw from the outside world into a holy huddle. In fact, anything, let's remember. Let's remember that definition of authentic biblical community. Let's read it out loud together. Ready? Here we go. Authentic biblical community is us being Jesus in word and deed to one another and to the outside world. 
Biblical community has an outward focus that tangibly expresses the missional heart of Jesus. And you see it throughout the book of Acts. You see it here in verse 47. As these believers had this upward focus where they were growing deeper in their devotion to Jesus, learning God's word, praying together, supporting one another, and being family with one another, what occurred was their testimony to the community around them. How attractive is that type of body to people who are hurting in this community? In that community, nothing has changed in 2,000 years. A group of people following Christ characterized by these things, an upward and an inward focus that is healthy. There is an aroma to that gospel community. And so when you realize that and we practice radical hospitality, opening up our lives and opening up our groups, people come in. This, the entire book of Acts shows it. You look throughout the book of Acts, they're opening up their lives to those who are seeking hope, to those who are seeking answers. They practiced radical hospitality. In other words, within our groups, there's always a welcome chair for someone who's not a believer or for someone who is just walking into our church for the first time wanting to connect. These individuals, they, this early church, they were obeying what their Lord had taught them. They were obeying them what the apostles said. Jesus said in Matthew 25, I was hungry, you gave me food. I was thirsty, you gave me drink. I was a stranger. You see, God has a special place in his heart for people who are strangers looking to connect with his people. And you welcomed me. Thank you that I got one amen out of that. But let's, let me repeat that. God has a special place for strangers. And so we as the people of God have to be the most welcoming people in this community. Aren't you glad that God welcomed you into his family? And this is who we're to be. Never, you know what, I'm sorry, Jerry. Oh, let, don't, don't let me hear this ever again. Jerry, we have such deep fellowship, I don't want it to be ruined. Ah! How do you know God isn't going to bring somebody into your fellowship that actually makes it better than it ever was before? Or how do you know that your fellowship actually isn't that good, that you're self-deceived, and God is about to blow it all up. I've seen both of those things happen, and it's a beautiful thing to see, right? Right? What does Paul say in Acts, Romans chapter 12? Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. You know, we've done, uh, we've, we do surveys at the end of our ministry year within our groups, and this year, at the end of this last ministry year, 79% of our groups had at least 1% or one person respond. So we've got at least some feedback from 79% of our groups. And what, what came from those surveys was a, an interesting portrait of our biblical community that's taking place in our discipleship groups. Overall, there's a, a, a deep sense of satisfaction with the upward focus of our groups. And, and in fact, there's a, a deep, it seems to be a phenomenal sense of satisfaction with the inward 
the care and the fellowship and the sense of family that's taking place. And, I, and I'm so glad to see that. And, but here was the thing, you yourself as a body, as our body said, when it comes to the, uh, the, the outward focus, Houston, we have a problem. <laughs> you yourself are saying, you know, we, we, we gotta do something. Now, not everyone. We have some groups that are doing a, a fun, are doing a great job. Groups that have adopted a public school in our community, and or groups that are intentionally setting themselves up to be groups that are targeted to people who are not even Christians, and they want to learn more about the the Christian faith. But by and large. There's a recognition that we do wonderful in our Bible study and our prayer and taking care of each other, but how do we get out into our community and open ourselves up to the community? This is where we're struggling. So here's my second big ask. Dum, da, dum, dum, right? Here's the big one, guys. We got to get this one. The, 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 the future of our church depends really on us getting this, I believe as a church, for us to become the church that God wants us to be and have the impact on this community that God wants us to be, we've got to get this one, at least in part, begin to see how do we have this outward focus with the people in our community where we as a group of believers who do life together and study together and pray together and take it, but we take the gospel, the love of Christ, where we're Jesus to the people in our community. How can we do this? So I'm asking, here's my next ask. Would you covenant together with me this year, with your group, that you'll be a balanced group? That you'll be a balanced group. That, that you'll, you'll begin to pray over this area. You know, that before you can ever address a need, you have to admit that need. So begin to, to look at it and admit it, begin to pray about it, uh, you know, begin to study, begin to bring in. We've got Ben Harris, our, our pastor, who's the outreach pastor. Bring him in. Look at the people in our church who are doing it well, you know, who are outreach oriented, and ask them, how do you do this? Uh, how do you, this is part of your life. And, and if you need to know who those people are, you come ask me and I'll tell you who they are. And they can come in and they can mentor your groups. But would you covenant with me to pray over this, talk about it, and take practical steps so that the, the upward focus, the inward focus, the outward focus, they're in harmony. They're balanced. I think if we, if we get to that point, oh my, <laughs> oh my, what God will do through our church, through our biblical community in this community. Lord Jesus, would you make this happen? Would, would you help us this year, like never before, to experience the richness of your presence in our groups? Lord, I pray for those who are in our church this morning who maybe have never experienced this. Maybe they've been on the fringes. Maybe they're new. They've never, they've never connected into one of our discipleship groups. Um, would you help them uh, to take this next step? And Lord, we are not perfect in our biblical community, and we know this. And, and some groups are better at it than others, and some are just getting started finding their way, and others have 10, 12 years of experience. Give us the patience when we get into a group to work through the difficult you know, learning steps and the, 
the steps, you know, the starts and the stumbles and the stops and everything that can happen. Because the truth of it is, Lord, when we come together in discipleship groups, it's a group of sinners that come together. And so, God, give us the grace that we need to first come together and then the grace that we need to, to give each other grace. And may our groups become this beautiful picture of what we see in Acts chapter 2. We thank you for how you've, you've already done wonderful works of grace and mercy through our discipleship ministry here at Covenant. May this year we just see incredible fruit through your servants, for your glory, for the good of these people, the good of this community. I pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen.